It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 514 of Locked on Raptors for Saturday, May 18th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked on Fantasy Basketball. We've got Locked on NFL and all the NFL team shows as well. Bunch of MLB shows getting launched over the last month or so here as the season has gotten started too. So no shortage of stuff for you to check out on the network. And if you find a show that you want to support, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts is deeply, deeply appreciated. And on that note, I want to remind people there is still time to get into the draw for the three items I'm giving away that I bought at the sports store that had a closing sale near my work. Went in, ransacked all the Raptors stuff they had left, and I ended up coming out with a Jose Calderon jersey, red, uh, a black and gold OVO Serge Ibaka jersey, and a framed Carlos Delfino picture. Uh, once again, the only the reason, the way, sorry, to get into that draw is to go to iTunes, leave a rating on the podcast app, Unlocked on Raptors, five stars, and fill out the, the review, whatever you want to do. Uh, screen cap that and send it to me via Twitter DM so I have the receipt so I can put your name into the draw and sign off your review with your Twitter handle as well, just so we don't lose track of anybody's there. 
And once you do that, you'll be in the draw. I'm going to draw on Friday to pull out a winner. And uh, we have a few draw people people in the draw already. Uh, if you want to get in there, I mean, there's not a ton of people in the draw. So there's probably a pretty good chance you're going to win something. Um, so c- please do that. Go to the iTunes page, leave a rating or a review, or I guess both, a five-star review and a rating. Uh, whatever the hell the thing is, my brain is all confused. What do the thing that I ask you to do all the time? Send me a Twitter DM with a screen cap of you doing so, and I will uh, put you into the draw. It should be fun and uh, some cool stuff, and I will ship it to you for free whenever I do the draw next Friday the twenty fourth. All right, uh, let's get to today's show. I'm going solo. The Raptors lost to the Bucks, one twenty five, one hundred three. Ursan Ilyasova, man, God. I'm sick of that dude. <laughs> I am uh, already sick of a lot of the dudes on the Bucks, to be honest. It's uh, it's a really good team, and they performed as such in Game 2 on Friday night. The Raptors just did not have it to start the game. I guess we'll start with where things went wrong, and then we'll flip it into some sort of uh, optimism for Game 3, I suppose, if you want to get into that. You know, it's a, it's a me podcast, so of course I'm going to get into some sort of optimism, because I don't think it's completely all done and over yet. I think our memories are extremely short. We are a group of goldfish that don't seem to remember how series tend to unfold, and there have been many instances of a team going up 2-0 with two home wins, and then falling back to 2-2 because the home team uh, for games 3 and 4 wins those games. Uh, The Raptors in the conference finals against LeBron James without Kawhi Leonard did that exact thing, and yes, the Cavs didn't try super hard, but again, the Raptors have Kawhi Leonard now, so I'm not ruling anything out, and Kawhi was really, really good last night, we'll get to that into the optimism side of things, but I'm just saying, there's going to be doom and gloom, I'm sure, and I'll get into some stuff that is uh, damning, and probably not so promising looking ahead in the series, but I don't think it's over yet. I mean, the Bucks themselves have won two games in a series. This happened last year against the, uh, or I guess this didn't happen against the, the Celtics with the Bucks at home, but they lost two in a row, uh, came back 1-2 in Boston, and then they went to seven, obviously lost that one in seven, and maybe that's the fate for the Raptors. They may lose this series. It's looking like that's going to be the case. Winning four or five against this Bucks team is going to be extremely hard, but I don't think it's necessarily entirely over, and we don't need to write the eulogy for these Raptors just yet. Uh, we'll get into a whole bunch of stuff with the uh, the positive things that happened, but first let's get to some negative parts. Uh, this all kind of fell apart at the start, man. It was a really, really rough first quarter. Raptors lose the first 35-21. The second quarter was kind of uh, a reinforcement of all the things the Raptors did poorly in the first quarter, losing that one 28, uh, 29-18. They were down 64-39 at halftime. It's not what you want. You don't like to see it. And I guess we can start with the biggest culprits those were, I think, Marcus Gasol and Danny Green. Marcus Gasol was really bad in this game. 1-9 from the field, 2 points, 5 boards, just played 19 minutes, got benched for most of the second half. Serge Ibaka filling in for him there, and then garbage time took over, and Chris Boucher and Eric Moreland played some minutes. And, yeah, Gasol just was, he looked old in this game, and he looked like he just, like, forgot how to play basketball. He was really good for three quarters against the Bucks, and then the last five quarters have just been non-existent from him and I don't know what's going on I don't know if it's the like the length and the rim protection that the Bucks provide that's kind of giving him trouble I think that's probably part of it the Bucks are just so long around the rim you've got Giannis always lurking I think early in the game Gasol had a dunk blocked by by Giannis and it was just like all right what are you supposed to do Giannis is in the weak side corner he comes over for a block that's how good he is. He's really, really incredible. And Gasol, I think, is just having some trouble sort of making those in-around-the-basket decisions really quickly. 
obviously Gasol is not known for his around the basket finishing, and that's only going to be exacerbated by the fact that the Bucks just constantly have big dudes around. With starting this big lineup with Nikola Mirotic out there, there's just a lot of dudes around the rim who are getting their hands up, you know, going vertical, you know, getting in to try to smack balls free. Gasol has had a couple plays here and there where there was one play last night, like Leonard threw an entry pass to him, and Gasol just kind of missed it, and it was weird. It was like he'd never played basketball before he like he had no dexterity whatsoever um and then there was another one where Gasol's up at the top of the arc he's trying to throw a high low pass down to Kawhi and he rips it off the bottom of the, the backboard and it's just like what are you supposed to do there that's not a play Marc Gasol makes he's a better player than that and yes maybe he's looking a little bit long in the tooth in this series he's played a ton of minutes and that is probably I think you know a big reason why it's happening he's played over 40 minutes before last night playing 19 I think he played over 40 in three straight games or something close to that he has been really vital for the Raptors hey guys it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience what if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line Or could a coin flip actually have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former SportsCenter anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. And I guess let me get to the, the big conversation, which seems to be happening today for the millionth time, and it's stupid, and I think we should stop with it. Um, can we please stop retconning the Marcus Gasol trade? There is a reason they made that trade, and it was mostly Joel Embiid, because Gasol has done a really good job against Embiid in his career. He did an amazing job against Nikola Vucevic in the first round, and in theory, he should be a pretty good guard for Brook Lopez. And Lopez hasn't exactly had, uh, you know, outside of the second half in the in game one where he pretty much put up all of his numbers, he's not been very good in the playoffs in general. And in the series, he was not great in the first half, and he was awful last night. And it's not all because of Gasol, obviously. Gasol only played 19 minutes to Lopez's 27, and I don't think anything Gasol did last night could be construed as positive. But I, I don't think the Raptors even get to this point without Marc Gasol. That is the thing. Like, yes, Jonas was has had pretty decent numbers against Joel Embiid in the past, but there was just never going to be a world in which he was going to be constantly reliable on the floor and to have him out there all at all times. Maybe against the Sixers you could have done it, but I still think over the course of a series he's probably getting beaten to, beaten to shit by Embiid because Embiid's better and stronger, and and Jonas is less used to having to you know deal with that kind of defensive role and burden for an entire series. And Gasol was so good against Embiid. Embiid shot like 35% for the series, maybe even less than that. And Gasol had his hands in that all the time. There was a reason that you matched minutes with him. And yes, maybe Gasol lost those minutes a lot of the time, but to lose those minutes by 10 points and not 30 points is the difference between winning and losing that series. And in particular, Game 7, where the Raptors only won the non... Uh, or got lost the the, the, the the Embiid minutes, the 45 Embiid minutes by 10 points, and won the three non-Embiid minutes by 3.5. Had, had Gasol not been any better against Embiid, had he not been Gasol and not been the reliable defender against against MB that you need, the Raptors lose that game. And, and I just, you don't get to this point without Gasol. The trade always made sense. And now I think there's some sort of creeping, you know, 
the sentiment is that like, oh yeah, but they forfeited all their depth. First of all, depth matters, obviously. We've seen it with this Bucks team. They are they roll nine deep and they have a lot of dudes who are on the bench who aren't playing who could probably play in a playoff series. Tony Snell, Sterling Brown, whoever. Um, but like depth only helps you to a certain extent and your depth only matters if your starters are really, really good and, and your, your depth can only sort of help you if they're filling in minutes for very good lineups. And I think having... Delon Wright and CJ Miles and Jonas would have been nice to be deep, but then you have like way bigger holes in your starting five, and you're probably going to end up getting torched in those starting five minutes, and your bench minutes aren't going to matter as much anyway because you're just you're never going to win bench minutes in the playoffs. It's just not a thing that happens. Um, you know the the, the the Bucks have done that, but mostly playoff benches are just about trying to weather the storm. And I I guess the thing people are are kind of getting on now is like, oh, they should have traded Fred VanVleet instead of Delon. Maybe you could argue that I think Fred. His, his playoff drop-off has been so stark and so bizarre, and he looked so good after he came back from injury that I don't know if that, you know, people aren't going to be saying that. At the, people weren't saying that at the time. People were saying, hey, yeah, Fred, the shooter, the guy who's a little bit more reliable, that's the guy that should be around long-term. Uh, you know, there was obviously the questions with DeLon Wright's future as well and what to do with him in the offseason. Trading DeLon made some sense at the deadline. Then you have... C.J. Miles, who was part of that trade. And, like, C.J. Miles was not going to be a part of this series. And if he was, something horribly wrong has happened. Like, he was awful this season, was awful, like, start to finish this year, did not have, like, a single good game for the Raptors. People were totally over the C.J. Miles thing. And him in a playoff series, he's a really glaring liability on defense, which you can't have. And his shot was, it's it, you know, he's not reliable. It's just kind of the thing. Like, you can't retcon the whole thing and say, oh, but C.J. Miles would have been great on this team. People were ready to just, like, kick C.J. Miles to the curb and have him not be on the team in, like, December. And there there was just, there would have been no problem. There was no problem when he got traded. And I I just think the depth, those guys and with this roster, really you're talking about one extra guy as part of the rotation, and that's the one. Um, you know, obviously you would have had to include Fred So in, in the trade for Gasol. So maybe if you say you don't do the, the Fred, the, the Gasol trade at all, say that you just never do it. Jonas, I think, is a step down from Gasol in most areas except for scoring. And maybe you could argue that the scoring has been necessary in the series and they could have used an extra guy to go get a bucket. I'm not sure I want to run you know, post-touches in the playoffs, especially with a guy who's not a particularly good passer. That's pretty easy to coach against and sort of thwart if you're an opposing coach and an opposing defense. Um, as far as like DeLon, yeah, maybe DeLon would be a more pre- preferable option to Fred in this series. Um, but... As the, when the trade happened, we the, the thought was, hey, DeLon's like the one non-shooter on this team. Fred VanVleet's a good shooter. He's and when he came back, he was so good when he came back, so quick and explosive, and getting to the rim and all the good things about Fred. That's fallen off here, and I, I don't know what the real explanation is, other than that he's small and the playoffs don't cater to small guys super well. But I, I think the way that he was playing and the, the his strengths and sort of as opposed to what DeLon's weaknesses are, I think you were going to trust Fred to sort of come through in the playoffs in a, in a, in a bigger way than DeLon would have or could have. Um, maybe that's wrong. Maybe you could have used DeLon's length and his, his defense in the series. But, you know, there's also the financials of everything as well. And Fred had the bigger contract and is more locked in long term. DeLon was a restricted free agent this summer. Maybe that was appealing to Memphis. Like, maybe the trade doesn't happen if you don't include DeLon and you try to get Fred in there as well. And ultimately, I still think the trade was the, was the right move. Gasol has been bad for the last five quarters, but he's been very good for most of the series, most of the playoffs. Even with his lack of aggression, his defense has been great. He was awesome on defense in game one for the first three quarters, and that kind of, it fell off the wheels, obviously. But he's, the, the Raptors aren't here without him, so we can probably stop just going back and sort of JV-hiving it up every time because all has a bad game. Like, 
guys have bad games. That's what happens. Um, elsewhere in this game, I mean, it was just sloppy and shitty early along. The, the, early on, the passes were not there. Kyle even had a couple of just like blatant, obvious bad giveaways that made no sense, and I don't know why he made the decisions he made. Kawhi was not on the ball enough. He only took five shots in the first half. He was four or five, which was great, but he just did not shoot enough and was not, the offense wasn't running through him enough. And, and yes, like the Bucks are throwing good defense at him. Chris Middleton's very good. Malcolm Brogdon's been awesome. But Kawhi still, like last night, in a, in a game where it seemed like he was defended very well, walked into 31 points on 18 shots. Like he's really, really good and has kind of been defense proof for most of these playoffs aside from a game or two here or there. And I just think, like, run the offense through him more. Have him, you know, like, the, the Bucks aren't trapping the way the Sixers did, so you can probably get away with Leonard with the ball in his hands more because he's not going to get killed for his lack of playmaking out of traps um, and his sort of hit-or-miss sort of ability to, to read the defense and, and move the offense along. You're not going to get burned by that by these Bucks because they're just kind of switching everything. You can get switches that you want. You can, um, you know, if they're fighting through stuff, I think I, I'll take Leonard on a one-on-one against Middleton or Brogdon a lot of the time. Like, he, he's really, really good. And they just weren't really leaning on that quite enough. I liked that Nick Nurse, as much as the Jody Meeks minutes were silly and probably not necessary, I did like that Nick Nurse was a little creative in trying to get Leonard some extra rest. I thought that helped. He looked sprightly in the second half. That was great. Um, and yes, the Meek, like Meeks wasn't great, but the minutes where he was out there, especially at the end of the first, that they were like a plus one in those minutes, and they survived it, and that's fine. Um, you know, he, he was not ideal, obviously, and that's kind of the the problem you're put in right here with three guys off the bench who you can rely on, and even then, can you really rely on them? It it just becomes a really slim pickings for who's going to get those ninth man minutes if you really need to buy a couple extra minutes of rest for your guys, and you can quibble with how Nurse deployed those lineups it was weird having Kawhi play with four bench guys to start the second quarter but again it didn't burn them and it was for a short amount of time and it's not like the Sixers where the Sixers are rolling up their starters at the start of second quarters right like they don't have the weird rotation patterns the Bucks don't at least and that you can kind of get away I think with more bench heavy looks than you could against the Sixers because the Sixers always had lots of starters on the court and they had weird times where they'd bring their best guys in so I think it's a little bit different and a little more permissible in this series to have Meeks play some minutes here and there. Obviously, he wasn't good. He missed a couple wide-open mid-rangers that would have been nice had he gotten the fall in, and the Bucks really seemed okay with like letting him shoot. Um, not ideal, obviously, but I, I don't totally begrudge the decision to have him out there. It's just, Nurse had to try something, man. He had to sort of throw something at the wall. And, I, like, Malcolm Miller is probably not someone you want to trust right now. Um, Jeremy Lin, I just don't think he can do it either. And the defensive liabilities to have him out there with Fred as, like, the two guard, I don't think makes a lot of sense. It's just, it's really, really hard when two of your, like, reliable veteran guys who have been awesome all season and who, who have been there and through wars in the playoffs and have been deep and have shown that they can do it in the postseason... It's really hard when those two guys, Gasol and Green, just kind of disappear and evaporate into thin air. It's really, really rough. Um, it also didn't help last night that Pascal Siakam got into foul trouble early. I thought he did mostly a pretty good job on Giannis. I mean, the whistle, I'm not a ref guy. I'm not going to be a ref boy here. But, like, the whistle that Giannis gets is very, very forgiving towards him, I think. And he gets a lot of uh, sort of 50-50 calls, I think, just because he's so strong and so, like, muscly. And he, like, bounces into people. And I think he kind of 
does a good job. I mean, it's a skill. It's obviously, I can't, as someone who watched DeMar Rosen for years, I can't complain about a guy being very good at picking up foul calls. It's just, I think Siaka maybe got a bit of a rough whistle last night, sort of a Jakob Pertley whistle. Um, he's done mostly a pretty good job on Giannis so far, and I've been really encouraged by that. And if there's one thing I'm taking as like a really nice thing from this series, it's that, that, that Siakam's done a really good job with, uh, you know, an upgraded defensive burden than he's had in series previous. And you know, he was 4-9 last night. I didn't think he was great offensively by any means, but hard to get into a rhythm when you're only playing 26 minutes and you're in and out with foul trouble. And he fouled out so early that you didn't get to see much of him in the second half. It was a bummer. It was a, a real bummer that Siakam had the night he did, but it is what it is, I suppose. And uh, you kind of move on. And I, I would imagine he'll be good in the next game. He's usually bounced back pretty well in this postseason. And I don't know how much the calf is still hurting him, but he's done a pretty good job at least sort of being there in front of Giannis. And hopefully he gets a little bit more of a forgiving whistle next game. Just uh, up and down, man. Just a really rough game. Kyle Lowry going 4-13, not awesome. I thought Kyle still did many good things. And in the third quarter, when the Raptors made that comeback, at least the attempted comeback, they won the quarter 39-31. It seemed like they kind of found a flow and a rhythm. It was all Kyle pushing the pace. And that was a thing they did not do in the first half at all. It seemed like everything was a half-court possession. And obviously that is sort of amplified by the fact that they were playing shit defense and the Bucks were just dropping everything and Ursan Ilyasova is putting everything in the hole and nothing was sort of leading to the Raptors to get out. They were not grabbing defensive boards. They, you know, they still gave up 11 offensive boards in this game and they gave up just like a lot of high quality looks in the first half that ended up falling and the Raptors could not get their transition game going out of that. And that is obviously where things fall apart. And I, I've talked about this over the last couple of episodes, like, that's going to be the battleground of the series. If the Raptors are going to come back, they have to be the ones to dictate the pace. They have to be the one to grab those long rebounds on the Bucks threes. Like, you know the Bucks take a lot of threes. You know there are going to be long rebounds. Your guards have to be ready to grab those boards. And there were just way too many times last night that the long boards, you know, go to a Bucks player. And instead of getting a great transition opportunity the other way, it's a Bucks player, you know, canning a three in your face after you had a good defensive stand. So... Obviously, like this is very fundamental and rudimentary stuff, but they, they kind of forgot it last night, and the guards did not do a good job of rebounding and being ready to sort of push it off that. Pascal Siakam with just one rebound. like So much of what the Raptors do on the break is Siakam grabbing a board and taking it himself, and to only have one last night, it's... You can't have it. He only had, it was an offensive board. He had zero defensive rebounds last night. That that can't happen with Siakam because that is a source of Raptors offense, is defensive rebounds from Pascal Siakam in particular. So just uh, not any of the things that make the Raptors good happened last night. That was a really, really rough performance, and it's disappointing, and it's you know deflating, and you can look at it and be really upset because they're down 2-0, and it seems like an insurmountable mountain to climb because the Bucks are so damn good. But... There are reasons for optimism, I think. I think Kawhi being as good as he is, that's going to transfer over to the next game, I would assume. I don't think Gasol is going to be as bad as he's been through the first two games. He's, what, 3 of 20 from the field in two games? Like, he's not that bad. And, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's unreasonable to expect that he'll continue to play so poorly. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. 
getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Danny Green, I don't know what's going on, but if there is a little bit of a sign of life and hope, it's that Norm Powell actually turned in good minutes last night. I said during the like in the lead up to the game on 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 Friday during the afternoon, I said 18 minutes from Norm, man, that's all we need. 18 minutes from Norm that are good. He had 25 really strong minutes last night. 14 points, four boards, two assists, six of nine shooting, hit two threes. It was a really great showing from Norm off the bench. The kind of thing that has swung a series in the past for the Raptors is Norm showing up, and I'm not saying it's going to do the same and have the same effect if he continues to play 25-ish minutes a game going forward here, but it certainly can't hurt, and he was really, really effective and exciting and, and just sort of had that sprightly sort of pop that Norm Powell typically has, and I think a lot of it was, you know, filling in for Danny Green's minutes, playing with really good players. Norm is free to just kind of hang out. His, he's always been at his best. Think about when he used to start in place of Damari Carroll as the fifth guy in that starting five. Think about when he subbed in as a starter against the Bucks in 2017. Think about any time Norm Powell's been successful. It's been as the fifth guy in a lineup who can attack when it swings to him in the corner and use his off the bounce. His first step still remains one of the best in the game and use that to cause havoc, whether it's getting to the rim for dunks. He had two last night that were awesome, or it's driving and kicking, which he's gotten a little bit better at, um, or or it's you know just taking open catch and shoot threes. Like He has that in him, and that is the best use of his skill set. So maybe the answer here is, like, it sounds drastic, but maybe you start him in place of Danny Green. Play him with the rest of the starters. Have him occupy that fifth starter role and then maybe green playing with the bench maybe him and van vliet and abaca as sort of the bench three and maybe you cycle in a little more gasol with those second unit guys and maybe you can kind of find something as a rotation that works a little bit better for this series and take advantage of what norm does best because like you have to get the most you can out of your bench guys it's just it's it's a must in this series there's no room for five guys on the team to be good and last night, you could argue that like maybe one guy on the team was good or two guys on the team. Like You can't have that. Um, and so I think to put Norm in the position that history says is the best place for him to succeed as a starter, Like it's again, it sounds so drastic because Green's been so good all year, but he's been awful lately. And Norm, I think, maybe earned it last night. And Nick Nurse said after the game that he's going to have more of a role in the series going forward. That's exciting to hear. Um, and I, I like I, I don't know how Green would take it. I feel like he'd be pretty cool with it. I mean, he's Danny Green. He's been around a long time. He kind of knows the deal. I feel like he'd take well to it. And maybe that's the way to sort of solve a couple problems. You have... You know, Danny Green working with, you know, the, the pick and pop, hopefully with Lowry and Ibaka a little bit more in the second unit. That's another thing, too. Not nearly enough Lowry and Ibaka. Think about back to when the Raptors had so much success against the Bucks this season. Lowry and Ibaka is a pick and pop combo. Like, that was the thing. That was the thing the Raptors sunk the Bucks with. And yes, maybe Ibaka is a less reliable shooter than he was at the start of, start of the season. Maybe you don't want your season riding on Ibaka taking a bunch of 18-footers, but that was a, a great ingredient. And if you have that... You know, Ibaka had three assists last night. He's had multiple assist games a lot lately. He's been pretty good making decisions uh, in the short roll and stuff like that. If you can maybe have Green sort of flank that lineup a little bit, have Fred Van Vliet work off the ball as a two-guard, you can use the two-point guard lineup in this series. I'm convinced of it. Maybe that's a way to sort of milk a little bit more out of your bench guys and, and put them in a better place to succeed. It's not easy, man. The Bucks are so deep, and they have a lot of dudes who are just, like, tossing up threes. Brogdon took 
six, six threes last night. Ilyasova takes five. Miritich takes seven. Like, it's a really hard team to guard, and they're just a barrage. They don't stop. They're constantly jacking up threes. And honestly, it's kind of an annoying style of basketball to watch. Giannis kind of saves it with his own individual examples of brilliance. But for the most part, they're kind of a bullshit gimmicky team where they just jack up a bunch of threes. And I, you know, it's obviously the smart thing to do analytically. Stylistically, it's less fun to watch. Um, Giannis, again, saves it all. But it's, you know, that's the way they play. And they don't defer. They don't move off of their identity. They continue to jack threes. They continue to, you know, collapse around the rim on defense. And you have to sort of find a way to work around that. And I think there are ways to do it here. The Raptors are not completely dead in the water in the series. They are a very good team. They're a championship caliber roster. Like, this is an amazingly built team. Maybe the Bucks are just better, and that's something you just got to deal with, right? Like, sometimes you're just worse. You build a championship caliber team that it doesn't just grant you entry to the finals. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be... You know, a challenge. Losing to this Bucks team isn't really something to feel shame about, I don't think. Like, I had my questions about the Bucks coming in and their supporting cast, but, like, it's hard to argue with what they are right now. I mean, Middleton's a great, a great second option right now. They're just a well-built team that made really good moves in season to get George Hill, who was bad till like, two weeks ago and decided to become good. And then Nikola Miritich was a really good move. And you can only control what you do as a team for yourself. You can only tr- control how other... Like, you can't control how, how other teams are going to be built. You can only control how your team is being built. And the Raps have done a really good job of building this roster. Where, like, it's a really good team. Maybe two teams in the league have done it better, and it is the way it is. Like, you can't control the Bucks building this team that they have. You can't control them getting Giannis and turning him into this monster. Like, I, I don't think there's shame in the Raptors losing this series, and I don't think it's over. Like, like I've said, like, I, I would not be shocked if they go and win two, and it's 2-2 going back to Milwaukee. Winning this series again is going to be an impossible task considering the, the home court advantage and you're already down 2-0, but I don't think it's out of the question because this Raptors team is really well built. This is a well put together team that is not the team that we saw last night in game two. It's more the team we saw for the first three quarters of game one and obviously things fell apart there and that was bad and awful and a game that you wish you didn't lose, but I, I don't think it's over just yet. And, you know, maybe I'll eat crow and they'll lose in four and the season will be over. But even then, if that happens, guess what? The season was still a success. I don't. I know finals were the expectation. I know that's, that's what you want. But guess what? No one's ever going to take the shot away from you. No one's ever taken game seven against the Sixers away. It's Or, or game four when, when Kawhi hit that shot over, over Joel Embiid to win it. Like... Or the Game 5 blowout. Like, those are all games that are always going to be there. These are games that are defining of a season. And this team was really good. Maybe it wasn't quite good enough. Maybe this Bucks team is transcendent and they're just on their way to winning a bunch of titles in a row. And maybe that's going to happen. We'll see how they deal with their offseason because they have a lot of free agents and all that stuff. But, like, this Bucks team is incredible. And... Losing to them, there is no shame in that because the Raptors did what they could control. They made a trade at the deadline to get a guy who fit better for playoff basketball and you could rely on to have on the court most of the time. And they traded for Kawhi Leonard because they said, that guy's really good. We don't care about the risk. We're going to do it anyway. And guess what? That trade was worth it and you do it a thousand times out of, out of a thousand. An incredible trade. And maybe he stays. Like there's this, That's the other thing too. Like, the conversation after every single Raptors loss is like, oh man, look, it means the Raptors are going to lose Kawhi now, and, and like, people, like, flip back after they win a game, but it's really silly to do that. Like, if, if nobody can read Kawhi, if nobody knows what's going on in Kawhi's mind, how fucking stupid is it to assume that every single game, 
is weighing on his mind. Like it's it just seems really really impossible to like discern what what he's thinking. So to try to do so and just assume that you know what he's thinking based on every result of every single individual game is kind of dumb and a waste of space and ink and breath and it just give it time. Be patient. Let things play out. Let the Raptors the, the pitch they've made this season speak for itself and I don't think by any means if the Raptors lose this series, that means Kawhi's gone. I think, yes, that adds a little bit extra stakes. And for some people who kind of feel like it's going to be a finals or bust thing for him, maybe that adds to your sort of despair here. But I think the Raptors have made their pitch. And whether they win this series or not to against this monstrous Bucks team, I don't think that changes anything. Like, it's obviously it would help to make the finals, obviously. But I don't think this, like, diminishes the, the pitch they've made if they lose in the conference finals. They're in the conference finals. It's hard to get to the conference finals, man. It's really hard. I mean, the Spurs would lose games, rounds, they would lose the first round. They lost the first round of the Clippers and stuff. Like, it, it's not easy to get where the Raptors have gotten so far. They played a monster of a series against the Sixers. They won it. That has to count for something. Every time Zach Lowe goes on his podcast to talk about Kawhi, it seems like the chance he stays goes up 5% in his mind. Like, that's good. These are all good things. The pitch they've made is really, really good. It maybe gets a bit better if they make it to the finals, but I think it's pretty good even if they lose here. And I don't think they're going to lose in four. I think they'll get, at least take one in Toronto. I would not be shocked if they took two. We will talk all about that, of course, when the time comes. I'll have a podcast either from the arena on Saturday or on Sunday after Game 3 or on Monday uh, to break it all down. So I think I'm going to leave it there. Lots of just spilling of the brain in this game, but in this podcast, but there's a lot to spill, I suppose. And uh, apologies for the lack of structure. I felt like I should just talk for a bit. Um, so that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And when you do leave a review, please screen cap it, send it to me, tag it with your Twitter handle, and you'll be put into the draw to win the Jose Calderon jersey, the Serge Ibaka jersey, or the Carlos Delfino framed picture. It's a cool picture. I want to keep it for myself, but I love you people, so I'm going to give it to you instead. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. Don't get too down. The season was a success. Kawhi Stan, all that good stuff. It's a very good team that has run into a monster of a team. And it's there's no shame losing to the Bucks, man. They're, they're, we underestimated them, probably, uh, and maybe made too much of their uncertain nature and sort of their out-of-nowhere first-season-ness of it all and sort of the 2015 Warriors effect, I think, of is this really real? How do we buy into this? Like, how is it going to translate to the playoffs? You never know until you see it. And most people are late on these things. Very few people are early on these things. And we may have been late to realize that the Bucks are just like a transcendent team. And if that's the case, you lose to a transcendent team. I know it's a rote story for, for the Raptors and Raptors fans losing to a transcendent player and a really, really great team. It happens, man. It's just it's just the way it is. And if Kawhi's on this team going forward, guess what? They also have a transcendent player who can do that to other teams as well. And if Kawhi sticks around, I mean, Bucks raptors going forward is going to be a fascinating back and forth, I think. They will kind of control the conference with those two players, and that's exciting to think about. So it's uh, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, uh, it's fun times right now. They're in the playoffs. They're in the conference finals. They, it could be much worse. You could be talking about the lottery right now, and you're not. So... All right, I'm going to leave it there. Optimism over. Um, please subscribe, rate, review, as I said. Get into the draw for the Delfino and the jerseys. And uh, I'll talk to you on Monday or Sunday, whenever I get around to it, with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.